0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we talk about executives as an important stakeholder in your content operations. This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hey, I am Alan Pringle.
1: And I'm Sarah O'Keefe.
0: This podcast is part of a series about stakeholders in content operations, content ops projects. In the previous episode, we talked about the IT department being a key stakeholder. Today, we are going to shift our focus and talk about the role or roles, really, I should probably say, that executives play and content
1: operations? So, you know, execs probably don't play a day-to-day role in content ops, uh, with the notable exception of if your organization is a company that produces content as a product, right? But most of the companies and clients that we work with Content is a a component of the product, but not the primary product. And in that case, the executives probably are not going to reach all the way down into the day-to-day content ops issues, but they have huge influence.
0: Right. They are participating. It's like an umbrella kind of over everything you're doing that you may not notice all the time, but it's most definitely there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, first and most... (laughs) tremendously obviously executives in a business are where you get funding right so even if they're not involved in the day to day your probably C level your CIO CTO maybe the CMO the chief marketing officer that's the person who's going to sign off and get you funding to build out content ops refine content ops you know do what you need to do get the investment that you need in your systems Right.
0: And, and it's not just about funding. I mean, that's a huge part of it, don't get me wrong, because they are really the ones that are going to open up those purse strings. They also usually have a really good big picture view of how this slice, you know, this content ops slice, this effort is going to support the company's goals. They have usually a much better handle on those short, mid, and long-term goals for the entire company and can make sure that your efforts are gonna fall in line and help with those things.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. And we've said this before. If you're not sure how you're going to get funding uh, for your effort, one of the smartest things you can do is figure out what priorities or what goals does your particular funding executive have? Have they been told to grow the business? Have they been told to cut costs? Have they been told to expand into new markets? What, you know, What's on their horizon and how can you align what you're doing in content ops with what they are uh, prioritizing for, for the year or the next couple of years?
0: Exactly. You kind of need to talk their talk, more or less, or at least speak in terms that they, you know, that's part of what their job is, whether it's the growth that you talked about or whatever else.
1: Right. And and that is, of course, highly unlikely, unfortunately for me. Uh, to be technology, right? They don't want to talk. They don't want to hear about tools. They don't want no. to hear about shiny tools. That is no. that is not going to cut it. Even I am happy to talk with with you, Alan, or anybody else in the world for hours and hours and hours about shiny tools. But that's not how you get your executives to give you money. It's
0: the worst thing you can do, based on my experience, or at least what I've observed.
1: Yeah, it it almost it, it'll work if you have a C level exec who, who is also you know a geek a nerd and really wants to talk tools, maybe. But yeah. those are actually pretty few and far between because that's not how you get to the C-level. Yeah,
0: it, it's more of a situation where, yeah, we know that tools are your wheelhouse, good on you. And there's a place for that. But that may not be the place for the you know the, these particular discussions because really based on what we've seen, an executive wants to know how a tool is going to solve business problems, support company goals and whatever else. They don't care about the widgets and what they do. They want to know about business problems being solved and how it's going to fix whatever kinds of goals. And I know there's tons of goals. We should probably kind of lay those out right now that an executive would be particularly interested in hearing about.
1: Right. So having said not the tools, I lean really heavily on a hierarchy of business needs um, I got this from Constellation Research, but there's there's numerous versions of this out there. So if you think of a pyramid and you sort of start at the bottom, you know, the infamous Maslow Pyramid with like food and shelter at the bottom and self-actualization at the top. In business, the, the food and water <laughs> layer, right? Yeah. Is compliance. Yeah. Um, if you have regulatory compliance, legal requirements, that is the bottom of your pyramid. Because if you don't do that, you will be out of business. So that's, don't that's yeah. then you don't exist, right? <laughs> so that's the foundation. And then in order going up, so you have compliance, cost avoidance, revenue growth, which is kind of the flip side of cost avoidance, competitive advantage, and then branding. Yeah.
0: And really you don't do one without the one that preceded it. So yeah, that, that makes a yeah. great deal of sense to me, but I do want to kind of throw in here. I want to back up and talk about cost avoidance It can be very easy to fall into this trap talking about how a tool or process is going to improve efficiency. We're going to, you know, gain 20% on this or whatever. You've got to be really careful if you are spinning efficiency as the primary argument for a content ops or really any kind of project. Because are you setting yourself up for a situation where executives are going to you know, kind of expect those kinds of efficiency gains year after year. Because at some point, you're going to hit a plateau where there are no more efficiency gains really to be had. So you've got to be really careful. Even if it is true, you're going to have efficiency gains. You may not want to spin it as the primary reason to do a project.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, I mean, if you think about compliance, (laughs) the bottom... You need to do compliance, but you don't need to, once you get to the point where you are are compliant or compliant enough, which sounds really bad, right? But <laughs> if you're in compliance with the regulations, you don't then say, oh, we need to be super compliant or double compliant or keep, no. And so with cost avoidance, it's kind of the same thing. We want to get to a point where we are operating uh, efficiently, And we have our costs managed and we understand what those costs are. And so, for example, localization, as you globalize and add more languages, can very easily be a runaway cost problem if you don't have an efficient content operation. Right. So if your content ops are terrible, every time you localize, all that inefficiency gets just multiplied across every language. So what we want to say is, look, if we do it this way, it will be efficient and we and scalable and we'll be able to do what we need to do. And then we can move forward and do some more interesting and exciting things like the next step, which is revenue growth, right? Yeah. How can content and content ops contribute to revenue growth? And maybe the answer to that is well, we can add more languages for less money because we're efficient. And so therefore, you, the CTO, you, the CMO, you, the organization, can go into more markets because more markets become uh, feasible from an investment point of view because we don't have to put millions and millions of dollars into localizing because our source or our, our starting point is is terrible. Right. Right. I mean, when you have a
0: repeatable process that you can adapt for new languages, it cuts how long it takes to get into a market. And we have even had C-level folks on some of our past projects say, I don't care about all these bells and whistles and whatever. What I care about is getting into X country and getting this done, you know, in a very short window of time, not a three-month, not a six-month lag. I want to get in there, you know, simultaneously or just a few weeks after the 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 primary language uh, content was released to get that product into these different markets as quickly as possible.
1: Right and that's I mean that's canonically that's a revenue growth argument because what you're saying is when we go to market in country one let's say in the U.S. with English only if it takes us 6 months to localize, well then we can't go into any other markets for 6 months because or non-English speaking markets for 6 months. If we can get all the localization done in a few in you know 2 months instead of 6 or a few weeks or a few right. days, well then you start to get revenue from those other markets which means you are going to get your money sooner, which is a very compelling argument and leads into competitive advantage, right? Because right. if my product, when I release my product on day 1, and on day 15 i release in non-english markets and you release your product also on day 1 but your non-english markets don't happen until day 60 right well that's that's an advantage to me right i'm more nimble more flexible i'm in you know in germany with german language content which says something to my customers in germany about how much i care about well, it's perceived as you care about us. Right. On the inside, it may very well be, well, we just can't do it. And we care very much about our German customers, but we yeah. can't get to German language because again, bad content ops. But, and this goes
0: to the final step in this pyramid, and that is branding. That All that perception that you just mentioned goes directly into the branding angle because... If I were at a company and we were getting stuff out weeks after it went to the, you know, the primary country where the content was originally released and we were getting that product out in a few weeks thereafter, I would be crowing about that and making sure that my branding reflected the fact that, yeah, we're, we're getting out there, giving you what you need, you know, as soon as possible. That's a big deal. And marketing should probably reflect that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we're both focusing a lot on localization and on global markets, which I think is probably the most common uh, justification for better content ops, right? Because you can see how easy it is for every one of these steps in the pyramid to talk about what that means in a global company. But it's also worth looking at this just from a single language point of view obviously you have to do compliance. I mean, if you're in the U S the number of industries where compliance is required is, is fairly limited, but, but you've got to do it. You don't want to spend money that you don't have to spend. That's the cost avoidance piece. If your content is better, if your content is well designed, and if it is easy to search and accessible on your website, those are all factors that contribute to people understanding how to use your product, and using it successfully, which means they're not going to return it, or they will be less likely to return it. Some enormous percentage of product returns are basically not the product is defective or broken, but actually I can't figure out how to use it.
0: And in addition to returns, you're going to have fewer people pinging your various support channels, and that in turn is, you know, going to help you with your bottom line and competitive
1: advantage, right? Because support is is stupidly expensive. Exactly. So you can you can you can see how you can tie the general business uh, operations and the general business needs into if I do content ops well and if I do these things with my content, then these are the business results you're going to see. If our content looks better sounds better, feels better than the content that our competitors are producing, then we will gain an advantage there, right? You gain a competitive advantage, you gain a branding advantage and all of these kinds of things. So, if you're looking at content ops and you're trying to get investment for content ops, my advice is to take this this five-step or five-layer hierarchy of needs. Think about where you are, right? Like We're not in compliance, and the FDA is threatening to shut us down is a really good reason to invest in content ops.
0: That's a really good point, and I think we can end on that. So thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant
1: links.